This podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. Keith Coogan. try to think of some surprises. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you're like, hey, open your door and you disappear from the screen and it's like, what? How did you do that? And you have a little setup right outside my room here of your little purple background. (gasps) Yep. Yep. That would be crazy. Hey, welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name is Will and joining me as always, is my friend and co-host, Kat. Wait, what do I say? There's only one guy. What do you mean? I usually say, hi, guys. Oh, you just adjust the... Uh... Should I just say, hi, Will? Oh, yeah, I guess, hi... Yeah, I was going to say just adjust <laughs> the, you know, make it singular. But yeah, hi, guy would be weird. Not hi, guy. Yeah. Hi, guy. <laughs> Sounds like a pickup, kind of. Hi, guy. <laughs> hi, guy, smiley. I mean, yeah. I don't... Um, yeah, hmm. hi, Will works. I mean... Yeah, I guess I could just say oh, yeah. hi, Will, but I also feel like then I'm not including whoever might be listening. Mm. Hello. I have to think about this. Yeah, just hello. <laughs> That's good. Just hello. Well, I look forward mm-hmm. to next week when we do this again and you just say hello. Okay. <laughs> hey, if this is your first time joining us, we've got a lot of new folks that are following the page lately, mm-hmm. and you're listening to any old episodes, here's a brief history. We started out, we were called the idiots. It was Ray and myself. Just about a year ago, we became 1980s Now. We added Cat. Mm-hmm. Most recently, in the last few weeks, Ray has moved on. Mm-hmm. There you go. You're caught up. So if there's any inconsistencies in the shows over the last few years or whatever, uh, there's that. Uh, mm-hmm. Hey, a side note here. We are actually recording this episode live right now on Facebook. So you're listening to it in your car or home or on an app, on an app at, at some point when the episode's published. It's not live now, but you can uh, find out uh, when we're going to record the next one, when Oh, go to Facebook. Mm-hmm. Follow us on Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's how. <laughs> uh, and we're already getting some comments because you could be able to participate with us while we record here. Kathy says, did you see D. Wallace on Drew Barrymore? I did see a clip of that. So oh. touching and moving. Of course, we oh. spoke with D. Wallace a few months ago. Such a mm-hmm. sweet woman. She and I exchanged some emails afterwards about some things and just a really nice down to earth person. And uh, awesome. she reunited. With, she surprised Drew Barrymore on the show, right? She didn't know. Drew Barrymore didn't know that Dee Wallace was going to be appearing. Of course, Drew, oh. Drew Barrymore played Gertie in E.T. and Dee Wallace played her mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, E.T. Mm-hmm. is turning 40. That's insane, that, right? I mean, just, oh. That's insane. And also that's so cute that she was, had a surprise, like she had a surprise guest. <laughs> was surprised by a guest. Wow. They um, reenacted like a, at least they did this on Instagram or something like that. They did the, mm-hmm. there's a pose of them where she's holding Gertie and Gertie's uh-huh. kind of looking up to her like, you know, mom. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> Dee Wallace puts her arm around Drew Barrymore and she's kind of doing, trying to do the look. <laughs> that's pretty neat. Very cool. Hey, on today's show, we're going to be speaking with 1980s boy next door, Keith Coogan. Everybody knows Keith. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had the Brat Pack in the 80s, was that sort of older teen angsty folks, you know, uh, Rob Lowe and Demi Moore knows what uh, Ali Sheedy, I think, was in there, right? Mm-hmm. She was. Yep. And we should really have some sort of phrase for the younger actors that were kind of your, you know... Uh, just a sort of, I don't know, these down to earth sort of guys that everybody sort of knew in their mm-hmm. friend group, like Keith Coogan, like Will mm-hmm. Wheaton, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, who mm-hmm. else can we throw in there? Sean Astin, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there is a phrase like that. But you do know Keith mm-hmm. Coogan from Hiding Out, Adventures in Babysitting, uh, Under the Boardwalk in the 80s. He was in Toy Soldiers in the 1990s. And even though he didn't, I guess he made sort of relatively few films in the 1980s, he was in literally dozens and dozens of TV shows during that mm-hmm. era. Many of our favorites. I'm talking The Love Boat uh, fa- and Fantasy Island. The Waltons. Both. Yes. <laughs> Eight is Enough. Uh, Silver Spoons, Knight Rider, Mork and Mindy, and on and on and on and on. Seriously, it's just crazy. So hopefully we'll get to ask him a little bit about that. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be to be like a kid mm-hmm. and get to see Kit, the car, in person. Right. Right? I mean. Right. Oh my gosh. Or Robin Williams, like be on set with Robin Williams. To just hang out with him. That's a very impressive TV appearance resume, I got to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, Kathy there... says, don't tell the mom the babysitter's dead. Right. There you go. It's funny how he was in two babysitting movies, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of a thing. Hmm. And I did hmm. see him telling a story about getting the role in uh, Babysitter's Dead where, um, you know, and that one he plays kind of like us. They don't say it, but he's kind of like a stoner. You know, he's got mm-hmm. the long hair and mm-hmm. kind of that uh, valley guy kind of thing, I think you'd say, right? California yeah. sort of valley guy. And um, he auditioned for the part, or he went to audition for the part. And I think he auditioned, he came in as himself and they were like, eh, whatever. And then mm-hmm. I think he asked the casting director, can I do something? And cause he knew them and they, they let him mm-hmm. come back in mm-hmm. this time he had a wig on. I think he looked, he looked like the part and he did it again, <laughs> but she, I guess she didn't introduce him by name this time. So he did it and they were like, wow, this guy's fantastic. And only afterwards revealed that's Keith Coogan. He just, you know, came back in or something like that. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So I want to get in that role. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that film actually was directed by Stephen Herrick who directed uh, Bill and Ted. So it's okay. kind of a Bill and Ted sort of thing maybe he's doing but we can ask him about that we got the one announcement this week mm-hmm. i don't know the date though what is the date i forget now oh well did you decide are uh, we doing I guess uh, we trivia just... tuesday or trivia thursday <laughs> <laughs> thursday this thursday <laughs> april 28th we're going to be playing trivia on facebook live as we've done for the last couple of mm-hmm. months over on our network sponsors page the 80s ruled Mm-hmm. I just said a lot of words. Look, you're confused. Just follow <laughs> us on Facebook. We'll get you over there. When it comes up, you click on a thing and you can play the game live with us. And it's really simple because all you got to do is put your answer in the comments. Not even your answer. We give you a multiple choice. You put it down in the answer one, two, three, or four, and the computer figures out who's right. And in the end, we give a price. $50 gift card. Yeah. 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 And it's so simple. Simple to play or are the questions also easy? Well, I wouldn't say they're easy. But playing Mm -hmm. is very simple. Yes. Anybody can do it. So follow us on Facebook Mm -hmm. and we'll get you over to the right page when we play trivia live this Thursday, April 28th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Mm -hmm. All right. Hey, let's get caught up on 1980s news. No, it feels really mellow, right? Just the two of us. Mm -hmm. It does. It does. There's something about a third person that, uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. What is it? I always thought this in friend groups too, you know, like I would have a good Mm -hmm. friend. Mm-hmm. But I would always like look forward to like, why don't we see if this other person's around? Because then there's oh, some kind of magic yeah. that happens. Oh, no, but this is, you know, this is terrible. I'm about to just crap all over us, our show. All right, Are take you that out. This is not magical. I'm taking that all out. Forget it. <laughs> it's a joy to be Maybe with I you. should inject the opera and make it more exciting. <laughs> 
Who would think opera would be exciting, though? <laughs> oh, wait, what? Oh, you, you did it again. What? You can't, you can't, you just said maybe I should inject the opera. I didn't say I was gonna, I just said maybe. <laughs> then it was a possibility. And everyone was excited about that possibility. Oh, I don't know if anybody here was excited about that. (laughs) Hey, uh, this week in 1980s news, per Glenn Rowley, writing for Consequence.net, Danny Elfman took the stage Mm -hmm. at Coachella for a festival set unlike any other. No doubt. Uh, So uh, if the folks don't know, Coachella is the music festival that's held annually in Southern California. Mm -hmm. Uh, Over the last, uh, and this year it's uh, taken place over the last two weekends. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and while I'm unfamiliar with most of the acts, I may have been willing to brave the high desert heat and the dust storms and uh, <laughs> the YouTube personalities walking around with selfie sticks right, just right. to hear a rare performance from legendary composer Danny Elfman. I was wondering if you might oh my God. be willing to, yeah. <laughs> this is the first time I took interest. Now, I, oh, wow. I, I printed out just a partial list of the folks that are perform- performing at Coachella. I'm not kidding you. Like... Uh, I know less than half of these people. Mm -hmm, I'm curious mm -hmm. how many you know. So let's see. Harry Styles. Oh, yeah. Billie Eilish. Yes. The Weeknd. We've talked about The Weeknd. Mm -hmm. Brock Mm -hmm. Hampton. Mm -mm. Anita. Mm -mm. Banda or Banda MS. Nope. Stromae. Nope. Doja Cat. We know Doja Cat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Swedish House Mafia. I know who they are. I've heard of them. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Fat Boy Slim. Yes. Epic oh, yeah, yeah. High. oh, Fat Boy Slim. I love, um, what's that song of theirs? Praise You? Oh, yeah, yeah, Praise yeah. You? I love that song. Yeah. Anyway, there's, yeah. So, but mm-hmm. Danny Elfman, I know. So I would love to have seen him. <laughs> uh, but on, on Saturday, it. April 16th, Elfman led a full orchestra. And you can see there's clips online. Not all of them are available, but there's some. And they're coming or going down. But, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, he leads a full orchestra through highlights of a number of his iconic scores, including 1980s classics like The Breakfast Machine from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, love that song. Now, a lot of his songs, we've joked about this before on the show, a lot of his songs are that. Which is fine. Machine sounding, robotic. Yeah. Yeah, reminds me of that. Yeah. And it works perfectly for that. And that was one of his, I'm trying to think, That was. I think that was the only, the second film he scored. So mm-hmm. maybe, you know, a lot of uh, musicians just generally wind up getting a little sort of, you know, style or thematic thing that they repeat maybe uh, subconsciously. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I mean, Batman House also has that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. 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 Men in Black. Mm-hmm. Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Tales mm-hmm. from the Crypt theme. They all start off with that kind of thing. It, it's kind of an anxiety creating mm. um vibe i think there, there's something about it that's uh yeah um it kind of brings a certain level it, it ups the energy ups the excitement yeah anticipation right. something about that yeah and i want it because it's rhythmic and it's faster mm-hmm. than a normal heartbeat it probably yes. makes you start feeling like yes yeah, my heart kind of racing or gets it kind of <laughs> feel not like I'm, I'm having a stroke my left arm okay but yeah you're right that's a really good point i never thought about that Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Your adrenaline. <laughs> um, anyway, but he also performed, and speaking of that, he also performed Batman, the theme from 1989's Batman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and they did this crazy tricked out version of the Simpsons theme, which- I in, couldn't yeah. find that. Oh, it's still it's, out there. Oh, okay, I'll have to look harder. Okay. And, and during it, oh, and I have a clip for you of it, because during it, Ooh. 
The orchestra is in the back, which takes up most of the stage, but in the front, down in front are members of Oingo Boingo, uh, Danny Elfman's band from the 1980s. He was the lead singer, songwriter uh, of mm -hmm. Oingo Boingo. And during the Simpsons theme song, Oingo Boingo joins in at a part and it becomes like a variation on the theme and then it goes back to the orchestra again. And I have a clip for you. Oh, that's so cool. Thank you. Not only was Oingo Boingo there for that piece, they also throughout their playlist played a number of Oingo Boingo tracks, including Insects and Dead Man's Party. Yay. A song that he wrote and uh, appears performing in Back to School, mm -hmm. the uh, Rodney Dangerfield mm -hmm. film. Anyway, mm -hmm. that might get me to a concert. I don't really care for concerts generally, although I did see Elton John, uh, was it last week? Oh, fantastic. Yes. I didn't know you went. Oh. Went with my oh oldest my daughter. It's like a father and daughter kind of adventure. Wow. It was so amazing. And we were really oh. close too. I, we bought these tickets so long ago. I didn't even remember uh -huh. where we were sitting. But yeah, it was really close. It was fantastic. Was a surprise. <laughs> no, it's super loud though. So I, I wear ear mm. like plugs that lower mm -hmm. the decibels by 20 decibels. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my, I got some for my daughter too. I don't know how humans could otherwise endure it. I think it's loud. It's louder than any concert. Or I haven't mm -hmm. been to concert years, but certainly- Mm -hmm. Louder than I remember it being. I just know whenever I have been to a concert, my ears ring for a mm -hmm. long time afterwards. Yeah. Maybe I ought to think about those. Uh, well, the folks. older you get, yeah, it less likely the ringing will stop. So <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and if it keeps going, it's tad annoying. Mm -hmm. Hey, in other 1980s news for Entertainment Weekly, everybody's talking about Bruce Willis. So mm -hmm. why can't we watch Moonlighting? Now, by the way, just a, oh, sorry, you got, you got a comment already? No, no, I, I'd like to watch it. <laughs> I was just saying, they, they lost an opportunity here. You, did you watch that uh, movie Encanto, the Disney oh, film? Oh, I've seen oh, okay. part of it. I didn't get to finish All watching right. it, though. It's really good, but wait, you okay. don't know what I'm going to say here. No, There's the song, that the award-winning song that's been like number mm -hmm. one for weeks. We don't yes. talk about Bruno. Uh-huh. There's an opportunity that's missed here. Everyone's talking about Bruce Willis. The character he created was called Bruno. That was his alter ego for his band. So it's, it could be everybody's talking about Bruno. Oh, oh, that's gosh. terribly disappoint me. I see where you're going. Yep, yep, yep. Anyway, <laughs> so with the news of Bruce uh, sadly retiring from acting due to his aphasia diagnosis, everyone's talking yes. about his remarkable 40-year body of work, including mm -hmm. the aforementioned TV show that first introduced Willis to the world. Mm -hmm. uh, just as a side note, for folks who don't know, the Emmy Award-winning Moonlighting ran from 85 to 89 on, NB on ABC. Willis mm -hmm. started as da starred as David Addison, a mm -hmm. wise-cracking uh, private detective who he starred opposite uh, Sybil Shepherd, who was a, you know, she was a movie star at that point. Uh, Bruce Willis, nobody knew who he was. He was still bartending uh, in Manhattan, I believe, when he was cast. Right. Um, but Sybil stars as the model-turned-detective agency owner, Maddie Hayes. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a really different show. I think it may be the first show where we use the phrase uh, dramedy in, in connection with a okay. TV show. Mm -hmm. uh, and they really experimented with uh, some of the styles, uh, you know, of uh, television, I guess, making, I would say filmmaking, but, mm -hmm. uh, and would have, you know, an episode that was all in black and white or did they do a musical episode? They may have done it, but that, they were sort of playing with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, despite how influential, how groundbreaking the show was, it's absent from streaming platforms. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard to even get on uh, video. 
Lionsgate released all five seasons on DVD between mm -hmm. 2005 and 2007, but they've gone out of print. And so if you want to get something now, you're going to spend over at least a hundred bucks to get one season. Oh, ouch. you know, on, on eBay or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Now, hey, John Henderson's yeah. here. And hey, John. He wants us to, yeah, he wants to remind us that Moonlighting had a great theme song by Al Jarreau. Yeah. What was it? I don't remember the words, but I can remember the music, the melody I of it. I can kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can kind of hear it's like, in my head. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. That's moonlighting that, that really strangers. <laughs> something away. Right? It's something like that. Did, did he nail it? Oh, here. Some, John writes, Some fly by night. Some That's fly it. by night. That's it. That's it. Yes. Some fly by fly day. By day. <laughs> moonlighting strangers, I think, is in there, right? Something getting getting uh, yeah, stuck so. by the way or <laughs> struck by the way. Talk about misheard <laughs> lyrics. Last week we did this game with uh, our special guest, Kevin Whalen. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. we should do it for mm -hmm. TV themes because there's probably some of those as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I feel like we talked about that. What was it, WKRP's theme or something? It was like when you really pay <laughs> attention to the themes, it's a real bummer. Uh, the, the, oh. song, uh, the lyrics rather, the song. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't, if you don't know, and I wouldn't have thought this, but the reason why it's uh, the uh, show has not made it to streaming, according to creator Glenn Gordon K Karen, I think it's is that right, Karen? Yeah, Karen uh, yeah. is because of the music licensing. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, quote, when we made mood lighting, television shows didn't typically use pop music. It was really just us in Miami Vice at that time. So when deals were made for music, no one anticipated streaming. Right. In order to exhibit the show, the owner of the shows, which is Walt Disney Company, has to go back and make deals for all that music. And they've resisted doing that for six or seven years now. End quote. But. Yeah. Wasn't it figured out for Miami Vice? Yeah, that's true. Miami Vice is available places, right? Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I just streamed an episode of Miami Vice in connection with a show that we did. Hmm. So someone needs to figure this out so we can rewatch. I'd be curious if, because I, I think I read about this happening on some other shows or films where what they'll do is, and maybe it was Miami Vice, they'll replace songs. If, they, if it's too expensive... Oh. They just take that song out and they put some kind of similar, you know, uh, song that Ooh. was cheaper in, or they have someone mm -hmm. create a sound alike kind of thing. Interesting. So you okay. could do that for Moonlighting too, but yeah, mm -hmm. it's not ideal. It'd be like George Lucas no. going back and messing with Star Wars, you know? <laughs> well, we know how you feel about that. <laughs> how the world feels, Cat. It's not me. <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah. It's horrible. <laughs> uh, Karen also notes that Willis almost missed out on Moonlighting altogether. Mm -hmm. They auditioned more than 3,000 actors. But when Bruce walked in, he says, quote, he had this thing I realized that was missing from television. Most of the men on television I didn't relate to. They just weren't men I'd encountered in my life. Bruce walked in and I instantly felt like, oh, that's a guy from around the block, end quote. Uh, it took oh. the, him bringing Willis in to meet the ABC brass 11 times before they finally relented. So that time he left and came back in with a wig <laughs> didn't yeah. work. Did I tell that story on air? Does that make sense? I don't remember. No, the one you no, no, I did. Yeah, I did. Okay, yeah. I was like, <laughs> like a fever dream five minutes ago. I will note, he's from New Jersey, you know, Bruce Willis. So there you go. Yeah. So when he seems yeah, yeah. like an everyman, a guy from around the block. That's why. Yeah, he's from a blue collar <laughs> family. He went to Montclair mm -hmm. State. Woohoo. Hey, in other 1980s news, per Tulsa World... The Outsiders actor Matt Dillon tours the Outsiders House Museum. I don't know if you know this, mm -hmm. but the, the home located at 731 North St. Louis or St. Louis Avenue, depending on what part <laughs> of the world you're probably from, 
Mm. in Tulsa served as the home of the Curtis brothers in the film, The Outsiders. Are you a fan mm-hmm. of that movie? I, you know what? If I saw it, yeah. <laughs> it was a very long time ago, but I feel mm-hmm. like I wasn't, um, th- I just didn't have access to it. I yeah. guess I was it, probably what, like 11 or 12. Yeah. It was when did it come out? 83. Yeah. yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. So, um, I feel like, I mean, I've heard the name so often and I know all the people involved in it, but I'm not a hundred percent sure I actually saw the movie. Okay. So I got to work on that. Yeah, yeah. It's an early eighties oh. film, but as you know, Kathy you know, C. it's, it's based on the novel by, uh, S. S. E. Hinton and, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. S. E. Hinton. And, um, it features so many folks talking about the Brat Pack. So many folks that ultimately go on a huge stardom, Patrick Swayze, Rob mm-hmm. Lowe, Emilio Estevez, C. Thomas Howell, Ralph Macchio, mm-hmm, and Matt mm-hmm. Dillon, of course. Also mm-hmm. Diane Lane is in it. Did I say Patrick Swayze? I must have said Patrick Swayze. Yeah, you did. Yeah. You said Patrick Swayze. Yeah. But, um, the, the film was, uh, for me, it was, it was popular among my friends and maybe it was because we were boys of a certain age. And so it was like this, uh, oh yeah. John Henderson says, Michelle, Mer- I don't know how to say her name. Merrill. I know who she is. I'd say Mayrink. Mayrink. Michelle Mayrink. Michelle mm-hmm. Mayrink, who, you know, she did a few films in the 1980s and has since retired from acting. I believe she teaches acting now in Canada somewhere. Right, John? Okay. I think John and I exchanged emails about this as we tried to hunt her down to get her on the show. Oh, um, all right. Um, but the, I think it's cause it's boys fighting. It's like the greasers versus the socias, you know? So it's like, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we were of that age kind of coming up feeling like, you know, we grew up in a city, so I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, um, anyway, so the, the, as decades passed, the film that they shot, shot it out, which is a real home fell into disre- uh, disrepair and narrowly ex- escaped a demolition. Ooh. In 2016, hip hop artist, Danny Boy O'Connor purchased the property with the mm-hmm. goal of restoring it to how it appeared in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ultimately turning it into a museum where he could have uh, show his, his, his collection of the Outsiders movie memorabilia. That's so um, cool. To do so, though, the house had to be gutted. And there's photos online at the, the Outsider House Museum website. It's, it was terrible. It's terrible. It looks like, wow. uh, you know, what I call it, like a tinderbox, a death trap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But Matt Dillon, who played Dallas Winston in the film, returned to the home to visit uh, with Outsiders author Essie Hinton, who I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, they toured the museum and he became the latest cast member to sign the uh, wall inside the filming location. See Thomas Howell and others have previously visited the site okay. and done that as well. That's so cool. Kathy's pointing out that the yeah. author was in the movie. Oh, is that right? Huh, I don't remember yeah, that. I guess so. That's, That's pretty cool. cool. I, I'm I'm going to trust Kathy on this. She says she's a huge fan. So okay. We got to go with this. <laughs> and is it Essie Hinton who also wrote, uh, was it Rumblefish that also has Matt Dillon? Right. She did another, oh. I think they did another film together. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sure someone will correct me in a moment here. Um, <laughs> but Danny O'Connor, the hip hop artist who saved the house said, quote, it was a day I'll never forget. Dallas was the character that I most identified with in the movie. So needless to say, reuniting with Matt Dillon here in Tulsa at the Outsiders House Museum was a dream come true. That's so great. End quote. Um, yeah. Love it. Mm-hmm. So have you ever visited, visited or seen a film location, like a spot where they've... Accidentally. <laughs> Accidentally? Accidentally, yeah. You walked in like, oh, I'm sorry. Are you guys shooting something? <laughs> is, what, is this cameras? <laughs> are you in the background of a film? Uh, did you have to sign no. a waiver or are you blurred out? I'm nowhere in any movie. Mm. No. <laughs> I um, no, When I was in, um, in actually our last... Uh, you're at college and I was over on the London semester Okay, and we did a long weekend over in Ireland. And one of the stops was in Kong, which is where the quiet man 
was filmed. I was oh. told that was a big deal. It was, okay. uh, they, they really like to play up. <laughs> they really <laughs> that, like to play up the quiet the man. Yeah. Yeah. I still have yet to see it. <laughs> I'm trying to think what it is. What is it? Uh, John Wayne. Okay. It is a Western. Yeah, I, thought, I, thought yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. I thought it was John Wayne. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, John says Rumblefish mm-hmm. and Tex. Really? Oh, wow. So three films, huh? Oh, wow. No cool. kidding. Oh, Kathy says uh, that uh, Hinton was the nurse who told Johnny his mom was there to see him in the hospital. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Hey, another 1980s news. Per Ultimate Classic Rock and the Van Halen News Desk. So we had to go to a dump. We had to go to a few places to piece this story together. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. This is just part of the long... <laughs> Dramatic saga that is the will he or won't he retire already mm-hmm. about David Lee Roth. Now I'm at the point where like, just, just dude, please just go. Look, I, I would love to see them if they did anything, you know? Oh, yes, of course. Reason. But of seriously, course. I'm tired of hearing these stories. And, and in part, because I don't know what to believe in, in typical David Lee Roth fashion. So David Lee Roth has responded to rumors about a Van Halen tribute tour. This all started when former Metallica bassist Jason Newsted said that he was invited to jam with Alex Van Halen and mm-hmm. guitarist Joe Satriani mm-hmm. with eyes towards a potential tour. But he, Newstead, Newstead almost, or rather ultimately bowed out because he, quote, didn't want to be viewed as a money grab. So he went on to explain how, mm-hmm. uh, how could you possibly live up to Van Halen? So if you're not going to live mm-hmm. up to Van Halen, this just seems like a cash grab. Right. I don't want any mm-hmm. part of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a result of this, folks went to Joe Satriani and said, well, Jason Newstead just said you guys were a part of it. You're going to be a tribute. He responded saying, yes, we've been in talks. I've been in talks with Alex and David Lee Roth gets sucked in now about this possible <laughs> Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen, you know, tribute tour. Mm-hmm. So what happens? <laughs> well, I should say actually before that, uh, his quote or part of his quote here from Satriana says, quote, for me, it was a terrifying prospect of doing something like that. But I realized that it was something that would be a real labor of love for me. I was uh, just so honored uh, to take on the challenge, end quote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that's from his appearance on the Rock of Nations podcast. Okay. So, of course, they asked uh, David, <laughs> what is, uh, what? I just, well, I have a question, but go ahead. No, you, you do your thing. And no, then I have a you question have a question about, about this. this? Well, I have a question about David Lee Roth. Yeah. But I think it'll come up a little bit oh, later. Okay. So keep right. going. So yeah. now finally Roth's chimed in for the first time telling the Van Halen News Desk, quote, in my mind, Van Halen 4K. Now, first of all, let's just pause. No one called it that. I don't know where that came from. That's something he made up, right? Like, okay, that doesn't yeah. even make sense. What does 4K mean? Mm, uh, to me, it means 4,000 of something, right? Yeah. Like I think that, I think like resolution of, <laughs> uh, you know, video graphics, but still yeah, in the context, yeah. are there four of them? Is that what it is? I, it mm-hmm. makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he says in the, in, in my mind, Van Halen 4K in the age of COVID is going to require two of us for every position. I guess in case someone goes down, there's a replacement, sure. right? So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Satriani and Lukather, uh, Steve Lukather is Toto's guitarist. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Anthony, uh, he's talking about Michael Anthony. And Newstead, the bassists. Okay. Al mm-hmm. or Tommy Lee, two drummers, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, th- this is the first time anybody brought up Tommy Lee or Lukather or, uh, right. or, or Michael Anthony. And they, no, that wasn't any of these rumors, right? Right. But what's even more interesting, though, is the folks he didn't mention as backups, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, he didn't mention Wolfgang Van Halen as a possible uh, bassist. 
Right. <laughs> and he didn't name Sammy Hagar to back him up if he, you know, fails ill. Instead, he says, probably the only one who could do my job is Pink. Which, that's very nice. Does Pink have any affiliation with Van Halen? <laughs> no. But yeah, no, but I think so? what he, I think what he's speaking to, and you know, I don't know that I disagree with this, honestly, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pink can rock. We've heard sure. that. And look, she's got the sure. singing chops. Mm-hmm. And I think, but mm-hmm. more than that, it's the showmanship, right? I mean, she sure. is, sure. you know, she's yeah, yeah, a yeah, character. Yeah. She's a performer. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I call nonsense on this whole thing. Like David, I feel like it's the statements <laughs> he made about retirement. I mean, it's everything he's said in the last, probably his entire career, but certainly in the last several months. We just don't know what to believe. Well, my question was, was he ever formally invited to be part of this? Oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, he's, <laughs> he's orchestrating and, yes. and, you know, doing all these things. And it's like, wait, <laughs> how that do we know for sure that he's involved? <laughs> that would be funny. Well, Satriani <laughs> said he was. Okay. He's the one who right. said Alex and Dave. He'd been talking That's with true. Alex and Dave. Right. But you're right. Okay. It would be funny if he didn't say that and they just go to Dave for comment and he makes it sound like he's in it. And then they're like, we weren't inviting Dave. <laughs> and then they get a quote from Sammy Hagar. Yep. Yep. <laughs> hey, in other 1980s news, because we got a lot of news today. We got to catch mm. up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. During an interview with Collider, Jim Carrey revealed why the Empire Strikes Back means so much to him. Mm-hmm. So he was speaking with him about his return as uh, Eggman. Dr. Ivo Robotnik in the Sonic mm-hmm. the Hedgehog sequel. Mm-hmm. Did you see the first one? The first one's really good. I enjoyed it with the family. It was fun. No, I yeah, heard it not. It's like for it's made for little kids. And you know, I still have a young kid. Your kids are grown. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of past my yeah. kid time. Yep. Although I, I still I, I enjoyed it. I but, love kids' movies. <laughs> yeah. No, it, yeah, yeah. These yeah. days they make a lot of great ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but during this interview, Carrie immediately praises the, George Lucas for his work mm-hmm. on innovating visual effects, you know, mm-hmm, pointing mm-hmm. out that uh, Industrial Light and Magic, which is a company that George Lucas created mm-hmm. to make Star Wars, the first one, A New Hope, mm-hmm. has done so much since, including he mentions he invokes their name in, in connection with The Mask, that the groundbreaking effects in Jim Carrey's film, The Mask, were made mm-hmm. by uh, Lucasfilm. Nice. And he says that Lucas should be on the Mount Rushmore of film, Quote, you can't do better than the first three Star Wars movies in terms of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, and then when asked if he prefers Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, he explains why Empire holds a special place in his heart, saying, quote, I love Star Wars, meaning a new hope. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, Empire Strikes Back has a special place for me because there was a time that I got the soundtrack by John Williams and I would put it on my headphones while I was reading late at night. I was reading mm-hmm. Stephen King novels. And I would mix mediums. I would read Salem's Lot with the soundtrack to Empire Strikes Back. So it has all these wild memory connotations for me that are wonderful, just wonderful. (laughs) I think that's awesome. It is. It never would have occurred to me to do that. I'm I'm kind of single track. Like if I'm reading a book, I'm just reading the book. Yeah. If I'm listening to music, well, I'm not just listening to the music, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I'm not trying to read a book while I'm enjoying the music. So mm, I agree with you entirely. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think tricky. I could do that. And part mm-hmm. of it, I think for me, it's like, look, I love scores. We're talking about Danny Elfman's one of my favorite composers of that year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and to mm-hmm. this day, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the thing, reason why scores work is because whether you're seeing an opera or a ballet or a film, there's, mm-hmm. you know, what is coordinated sync sequenced? What is the word I'm looking for? You know, um, coordinated, yes. I guess coordinated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Synchronized, you know, things yeah, are synchronized. synchronized yeah. With, yeah, with the, yeah. with the storytelling. 
So yeah, if you're reading Salem's Lot, it's kind of boring or it's kind of a light part. And then you hear, dun, 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 bum. Exactly. It's like, this is a happy moment. Yes. I'm not that familiar with Salem's Lot. I don't know if they have a birthday party or something like that during the thing, but. Yeah, I'm wondering if there's that many happy moments yeah. in there. Not real sure. <laughs> I've likewise tried to do that kind of thing while writing. So if I'm writing something, I'll mm-hmm. put music on you. Let's see, put on music mm-hmm. that evokes the feeling of what you want to write. But then again, you're not free to sort of have the story you're writing go where it wants to yeah. go. Yep, yep. Music's mm-hmm. kind of dictating it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool. Empire <laughs> is probably my, look, it's my favorite Star Wars film. Okay. But in mm-hmm. particular, there are light motifs in Empire that I love, like uh, mm-hmm. across all movies. The music they play during the, uh, when the snow speeder is looking for Han and Luke. Oh, oh that's great. What is that music? Oh, I'll have to go back and And uh, also the music music during the fight with the Adats that's shortly thereafter. Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Nice. Return of, of the one? Jedi is my favorite. Favorite film. Film, a Star Wars film, yeah. My wife too. Now, see, my wife, now you and I are the same age, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. my wife is younger than we are. So for her, Mm -hmm. I chalk it up to, and look, this is always that weird thing because my wife's about five and a half years younger than I am. Mm -hmm. So this is that weird thing where you think, well, when Return of the Jedi came out Mm -hmm. in, uh, what was it, 83, right? 83? Is that when it was? Wow. 83? Gosh, now I'm losing my credentials here. Let's see. 83. Okay. Uh. So I was 11 years old, right? Or 12 years. We were 12 years old. We were, yeah. yeah. So I was really, oh, so that's Jedi. Empire was 80. Okay. So mm-hmm. when Jedi comes out, I'm, you know, whatever, 12 years old. I'm kind of moving on from Star Wars toys and that kind of thing. Mm, okay. My wife, who is, here we go. This is what I'm talking about. She's like mm-hmm. six. <laughs> so she loves it for the teddy bears. There's a planet full of teddy bears. But I, I don't love it just for the Ewoks, but I don't think it was necessarily my favorite back in the eighties. Okay. Like back in the eighties, I loved all of them. Yeah. And actually, if you'd asked me back then, I probably would have picked the first, the original. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were pretty young when we first saw that. I, th- I think it maybe that had to do with the action figures because, you know, I had, I had more of those from the first movie for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but just rewatching the movies over the years, yeah. I feel like whenever I watch Return of the Jedi, it just I just like the the feelings that it brings up and I love the dynamics between the characters and the resolution of it. Mm-hmm. I really like the resolution. So, yeah. Yeah. That's why and, it's it's more of an overtime thing. And you know what? I I'm probably selling my wife short because I don't think she would say <laughs> it's because of the toys and the teddy bears right. either. I think she and I have to have a conversation yeah. about this. About- she does like how the uh romance of Han and Leia unfolds, you yeah. know, more. You know what? That was, yeah. Yeah, that's probably a big one for me too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, hey, that was uh, 1980s news. Hello. We're here to tell you about a new podcast called No Bad Reviews, colon, a coffee podcast. We're three pals, and we also work in the coffee industry, so we know a little thing or two about coffee. Hint of something else. And if you're saying it's Hobby Lobby, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> we are checking out coffees that we might prefer to give a bad review to, but we're going to find a way to say something good about them. What's the opposite of a hint? <laughs> I'm getting beat over the head with dark coffee. And while we're at it, we're all going to learn a little bit of history. Even when you go to outer space, they will go to extreme lengths to make coffee as much like it is at home. 
let's go ahead and get this party started. You can find No Bad Reviews, colon, a coffee podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Hey, if you like the show, rate it, review it, follow it, mm-hmm. follow us on Facebook. And then next time you could join us on Facebook live here and put your comments in the, uh, or put your, whatever, your two cents in the comments here for us mm-hmm. to, to participate. Hey, another, I got another announcement. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm pacing them out. I didn't want to put too many announcements at the beginning. It's taking long <laughs> enough to get to the news already. Seriously. But, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, this is really cool. So, um, we did a show about expose a few weeks ago. If you remember, uh, Violet mm-hmm. Sky was cool enough to come and co-host it because she is as big a fan of, if maybe more of 1980s dance <laughs> music and freestyle as I am. And you know, it's not, it's not a genre mm-hmm. that you're terribly familiar with, but the, right. t- the two of us geeked out about it, and we had the pleasure of speaking with Expose. You know, mm-hmm. point of no return. Uh, seasons change. That Expose. Well, I got an email uh, from mm-hmm. uh, Lori Miller shortly after we published that episode, mm-hmm. questioning, saying, "Remind me, when did I do this interview? I don't remember being on your show." Because Lori Miller <laughs> is the original lead singer of Expose. Um, oh. She's look. I, I think maybe I said that's on the episode or maybe, maybe I didn't, but just to be clear, I am positive. I was DJing with Lori Miller's point of no return for, you know, a year or two before they re-recorded it with the, with the new, with the ladies that we spoke to uh, a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, mm-hmm. Lori, you know, kindly said, Hey, if you want me to fill in the details about the story as from my point of view, as far as mm-hmm. the original members, you know, transitioning over to the the members of expose that are, you know, currently, uh, mm-hmm. the, the group that we know. I was, I was thrilled. I'm absolutely thrilled. Yes, please. So Lori has wow. graciously agreed to come on the show and tell us an, yet another angle in, in this, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in the expose story. But even more than that, you know, she, again, she's a person who was contributing to develop this new style of music in the, you know, mid to late 90, 1980s that I loved and was influential mm-hmm. for decades since. That's Awesome that uh, she reached out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. And she emailed me and I felt terrible because I was like, oh no, what did I do? Did I, how did I, what did I do to Lori Miller? I, I love Lori Miller, you know I mean? Uh-huh. And so her phone number happened to be on the email. So I called her immediately. Actually, I was in the car at the time. So I'm racing home. Like I, I have to call her. I can't let this stand with her wondering like, you know, my trolling her by, you know, it was just a misunderstanding, but but I called her so <laughs> kind and uh, we talked for a little while. Wow. Anyway, she's going to come on the show in a few weeks, but I wanted to let you know, cause mm-hmm. I learned that this Saturday, April 30th, if you're in the Miami area, you get, you get a chance to see Lori perform live again, the lead singer of uh, expose, the original lead singer when Ooh. she was there, when it was mm-hmm. called expose and then it became expose. And then she moved on shortly after that, but she'll be performing mm-hmm. live at the club at Renaissance at 9 PM Eastern mm-hmm. in Miami, Florida. And you can find the Club mm-hmm. at Renaissance on Facebook for more information. Oh, and other, another super cool thing is, according to mm-hmm. the flyer that I found, DJ Louis Martinet will be, or Louis Martinet will be DJ. Who's Louis Martinet? Not only was he a DJ in the Miami <laughs> area, but he created Expose. He, he was the, wow. wrote their, their hit songs, he produced the music. And so, look, you get like a twofer here. You know, two oh legends gosh, yeah, that's of- that's uh, kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, you get to uh, hear music from, you know, t- again, two folks who were there at the very beginning and helped create this sound that still is with us today. And again, that's at the club at Renaissance, 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern uh, on, what did I say? Saturday, April 30th. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hey, on today's show, as I mentioned, we're going to be speaking with actor 
man about town. Uh, I don't know what other kinds of clever phrases and adjectives I could use. Keith <laughs> Coogan, who, as we yes. mentioned, started a number of our favorites from the 1980s and beyond. Because mm-hmm. in the 1980s, he's in Adventures in Babysitting. And then in the 1990s, he's in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Mm-hmm. And we're going to ask him <laughs> about all those projects. But folks probably know, right? I don't know. Folks in the chat, do you know this? Do you know who his famous grandfather is? Don't Google it. Do you know who? <laughs> I didn't touch my phone. All right. There, John, John says. Oh, there's that. Oh, John and Kathy yeah. both chime in. Cool. Megan says, I used to. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, I, I, I was telling Kathy before the show. Words are falling out of, I shouldn't say it. The words aren't. The meanings are. I have a word. I'm like, I think it means this cat. Is this what it means? It sounds. Mm-hmm. Oh, Megan says that John and Kathy cheated. Okay, well, there oh, you go. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Them's fighting words. But uh, Kathy and John uh, correctly said Jackie Coogan. Now, Jackie like- Coogan, for kids of our generation, know him mostly as Uncle Fester on The Addams Family. He also popped up on some different TV shows. I think he would be like on a, I remember him on um, The Partridge Family. He played somebody like an uncle okay. of theirs or something like that. Oh, cool. Very he was cool. a little rascal, right? Uh, I don't know if it was a little rascal, but it was our gang. It was part of that thing. Yeah. Something like okay. that. Okay. But mm-hmm. not only that, Jackie Coogan had been acting at such an early age. He plays the kid in Charlie Chaplin's The Kid. Oh my I mean, gosh. So if you're familiar with that film, The Kid, he is The Kid. And John just said he was in some movies with Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And those films are great too. If you haven't seen nice. a Charlie Chaplin movie, you got to see it. I mean, these are silent films and somehow they accomplish so much in storytelling. The nonverbal. You know? mm. And the physical gags, et cetera, that they mm-hmm. do. And Buster Keaton, I'll throw him in there too. A lot of fantastic things. So speaking of the fact that we've got this uh, connection between uh, two, you know, look, two, uh, an actor from our generation, Keith Coogan, who is, you know, to us, he's iconic. And mm-hmm. this legendary, his legendary grandfather, Jackie Coogan, once again, mm-hmm. it's time to play. I am your father. So, Kat, I've got a list for you here. Oh, boy. Of uh, actors who also have famous uh, parents. Okay. A parent or parents, Okay. Mm-hmm. Now it would just be straight up too easy if I told you here's an actor who are they mm-hmm. related to. So mm-hmm. instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you two films. Oh boy! And in one film is the child or the parent, and in the other film is the you know the other. Oh my gosh! Okay. And I want you to tell me. <laughs> give me the okay. Now I'm going to tell you. Look, unlike what we've done before, uh-huh. okay? Because uh, you know, I'm going to give you an opportunity here. If you feel mm-hmm. like you need help at any time, just like millionaire. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you phone a friend. Okay. Ooh. So now if you could. Phone a friend. All right. If you feel like you could get away without it, that's fine. If you need a friend, don't feel bad about it. Well, okay. Get a friend online. I won't feel bad. (laughs) Maybe I'll just dial a random number and see who answers. Okay. Again, I'm going to give you two movies. And each of these starred, one was the kid and one Uh was the parent. Okay. All right. Here we go. Here's your first one. All right. Uh, In this one, we've got a TV show. So in the TV show, Chips. Okay. And, and okay, and I should also say this. One of these always is going to be a, a, a film or TV show that was in the 1980s. So to get okay. one of the kids or the parented, we had to go to other decades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But one of these things is going to be in the 80s. Okay, here okay. we go. The TV show Chips mm-hmm. and J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. So what do I have to do? So have one of them has you? a child in it. 
Oh. Who is related to their parent, who is also a famous actor, who is in the other. So I just have to tell you which one has the child? You just got to give me the names of the two performers. I have to give you names? <laughs> I told you you could vote a friend. I need my friends right now. <laughs> Kathy says she already knows the answer. Okay. Should we get your friend on the phone just to see if she... Yeah, let's do it. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just... For fun. <laughs> this is so goofy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kat. I'll need you to keep silent. Hello? Hello. Is this Sasha? It is. Hey, Sasha. It's Will from 1980s Now. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. We've got your friend Kat here. I'm trying to do like yes. a you know, game show kind of sounding voice. It's not going to last very long. <laughs> So we're playing a game with Kat and she needs your help. And she said, you're an expert. So we're allowing, allowing her to call you as a phone friend here. That sounds great. <laughs> so here's the game we're playing. We were talking about how uh, Keith Coogan's famous grandfather was also an actor, Jackie Coogan, who was in Charlie Chaplin's The Kid, who was in the Adams Family, his Uncle Fester. So right now we have a game that is about connecting one famous actor with their famous uh, parent. So I give Kat, and I'm going to give Kat a... Uh, Two properties, a TV show and or and a movie from the 1980s. One of them has the kid in it, and the other one has the parent in it. And I need the names of those performers. Oh my so God. here's an example, Sasha. In the TV show Chips, one of those actors is the father. Oh, I get it. You just had to mention that. Yep, Robert uh, Pine is the father of Chris Pine, Star Trek, That's Captain right. Kirk. That's right. She's my ringer. <laughs> Holy cow. I could Did I get it? Is that the question or was that an example? That was the, that was the first one that I was using oh. an example. There's yep, Robert only, Pine. There's only 45 more to go. <laughs> oh, geez. Just kidding. Just, just She's nine She's trying to go to bed. All righty. <laughs> All right, Kat, we'll leave Sasha on here in case you need any more help, okay? Okay. All right, sounds good. All right, here you go. Here's another two. Okay. The Breakfast Club. Oh. And Apocalypse mm -hmm. Now. Wait. Emilio Estevez is involved somehow, right? Okay, all right, okay. Okay, because his father yeah. is a sheen, uh, right? A sheen. Um, is it, um, oh. Is his father Charlie Martin? Sheen? Is he the Martin? That's right! Oh my gosh, I got it, I got it. <laughs> oh, she got that one right, Sasha, okay. All right. That was luck. <laughs> Here you go, here's the next one. Okay. Inner space and... The recent TV show that's happening right now, The Boys. Oh. Mm, this um, is a tough one. If you don't know the show, oh boy. The Boys, about the superheroes that are mm -mm. really monsters, really villains. I need help on this one. Sasha, do you oh, know? No, no. I do know. You do? Okay. I, I do. I knew yep. it. Was it? It is Dennis Quaid. Yeah. And it is his son, Jack Quaid. <laughs> Holy cow. Where'd you find this, Sasha? She is my pop culture buddy. Yep. <laughs> All right, here you go. Here's another one. Tucker, the man in his dream, and Tucker, the man in his dream. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> what? Uh, is that a TV show, a movie? It's a movie what? from the 1980s. Really? <laughs> Sasha, do you know? Um, I do. I know the father. Mm -hmm. um, the father is Jeff Fridges. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, oh, this father is, and it's a father and a son, right? And this one it is. That's right. Mm, father and son. Jeff Bridges, give me one second. Okay. Don't take too long. Uh, Jeff Bridges was in, <laughs> what is his son in? 
Uh, what is the sun? What is the sun? So far in the comments, uh, Kathy got Emilio and Martin Sheen, right? Yay, Kathy! Yay. Kathy said she doesn't know about this one, though. Okay. Uh, John says it's a good movie. What was he talking about there? Oh, Tucker and the Man in His Dream, probably. Yeah. Oh, It is a yeah. good dream. I have a good movie. <laughs> it's a good dream. <laughs> I feel like I'm having a dream right now. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the up. only other Tucker I know, and I'm not I'm sure. Sorry. I'm sorry. This, it's too much time. Time is Yeah, it's Jeff Bridges and his father Lloyd Bridges. Oh my God, I went for I went I went backwards. I was going the other way. Okay, yep. I'm so sorry. Am I out? Are we done? Yes, bye. So no, it's up to you. You want to be done? No, I'm not done. I just don't want to knock her out because I went I went the wrong way. Yes, I'm not competing against anyone else. It's just me. Zero dollars, cat. Oh no. Now if you keep getting it wrong from here, you owe me money. Okay, here's the next two. Psycho and oh. Halloween 2. Oh, that's oh, easy. She doesn't okay. know when I know it. <laughs> ringer, ringer, you're on. <laughs> I got nothing. Okay, you need it from me. I'll give it to you. Yes. It is Janet Lee and it is Jamie Lee Curtis. That's right. Okay. Oh, let's see. Amy got that right. Kathy oh. got that right. Wow. All right, here you go. Here's your next one. We'll see if Kat can get it first here. Wall Street and Spartacus. <laughs> She's thinking. <laughs> Kat's thinking. So far, I got nothing. No, nope. <laughs> nope, Sasha, she needs your help. Okay, that is Kirk Douglas and Michael Douglas. That's right! <laughs> All right. I love this. I love this. <laughs> All right, Kat, here's your next one. Or should I say, say Sasha? <laughs> we'll start with Kat. Uh, Goonies and the Amityville Horror. Oh, my. Um, mm, one of these is in the oh. 80s. Yep, got it. Oh, Sasha All says right. she's got it. Go, go, oh, Kat, Sasha, go. Kat, she's pa- <laughs> Kat's passing to you, Sasha. Okay, James Brolin and Josh Brolin. That's right! <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just so getting so well-educated here. Oh. Okay, All these said, names. Yeah. <laughs> just, they're just names them? to you. I just... <laughs> Sasha could be making up names. You have no idea. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I recognize them. I just oh. don't connect them. With... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Kathy said the Brolins. Megan said, I know this one. So I'll trust that she knew it. All right, here we go. Three more mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Uh, this is, all right, here we go. This is a tricky one, even for Sasha, I think. Oh, this is Spinal Tap and Summer Ooh. Rental. Oh, 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 wait, you know what? Pause. I'm sorry, Sasha. I got to give you an extra help here. This will make it easier because I meant to do this. Oh. Okay. They're not talking about actors in this instance. We're talking about directors. Oh, directors. Okay. Ooh. This is the only curveball like this. Oh, I know. Oh, I know who did it. Okay. 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 I'm good if she needs help. Oh, she needs help. I'm not. Okay. It. Carl and Rob Reiner. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Rob Reiner, of course, directed Spinal Tap and Carl Reiner directed Summer Rental. He also directed Summer School. Around that, you know, it was just, a funny movie. Yeah. That's a funny movie. And we talked to uh, Dean Cameron from Summer School, who's what? Chainsaw. We talked to him a few months ago. Oh, yeah. Okay, here we okay. go. Two more. Lost Boys and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, no. That movie. Oh. Cat? No? Nightmare for me. Uh, what, which, which one? Lost Boys? Snatchers. No, Invasion, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Snatchers. You don't like that movie? I, ooh, oh. I was too young when I saw that. I, ugh. Yeah, it came out in uh, 76 or 78. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know the connection? Uh, nope. All right, Sasha, you're on. Yes, I do. I yep. do, I do, I do. Okay. Okay, she needs it? Yep. Donald Sutherland and Kiefer Sutherland. That's right! <laughs> oh, let's see. Kathy says Sutherland. Megan says Sutherland. 
Uh, uh, okay, final. so great. Oh, John also got it. Donald and Kiefer. All right, here we go. Last one. <laughs> All right, this might be tricky here, but I think Sasha could do it if Kat can't. <laughs> Singing in the rain and when Harry met Sally. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, when Harry met um, Sally. Well, Singing in the Rain, rain. Cat's is Gene it Kelly. Cat's uh, oh, naming the different actors from Singing in the Rain. Is it is it Gene Kelly? Is that you want me to give you a partial response? Yes. It's not Gene Kelly. No, it's not Gene oh, Kelly. Never I mean, no, wait, Gene Kelly is the star of Singing in the Rain. Yes, if that's what you're asking. Okay, yes. but he's not related he's not to this He's not the answer I'm looking for, no. Sasha. All right, Sasha, you're up. <laughs> oh. I oh. am going to go with. I think if you can get one, Eddie, you get the other. Oh, Eddie Fisher and Carrie Fisher. Oh, sorry. Oh. oh, damn it. So close. And John Henderson in the comments got it right. We're looking for Carrie Fisher. Yep. But her mom, Debbie Reynolds. Oh. Debbie. Oh. Right, right, right. All right. Well, I was close. I got 50%. You did. And with that, Sasha will thank you and you get 50% of the winnings, which is uh, my undying respect. No problem. <laughs> All right. Sasha. Have a good night. Thanks, Sasha. Bye-bye. She got more than 50%, percent did Where have she? you been hiding her? <laughs> How is it not rubbing off on you? She's three streets away. I oh, my goodness. I clearly need to spend more time with her. <laughs> oh, I see. I let other people keep track of these things for me. There's other things. This is what I want to do. And I mean, this Mm -hmm. is going to sound like a smarmy comment, but we should do an episode where we find out what you're storing in there. (laughs) I mean, I have a lot of useless stuff. You must have good stuff. Oh, I don't know. Uh, All right. Hey, let's talk. Now, look, the interesting thing about Keith Coogan is, and we'll get into this, Mm -hmm. I hope, is that he, when he first started in Hollywood, he didn't leverage this, you know, uh, his, uh, what was it? Again. Uh, his mm-hmm. credentials, uh, family, right. uh, his pedigree, kind of pedigree. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. He didn't leverage mm-hmm. his pedigree. You know, See, even that's what I'm good for. Well, <laughs> I, I need that. Thank you. I feel like I'm going crazy. Um, otherwise, um, but he actually even used a different last name when he started out because he didn't just want to be, you know, associated uh, with, um, ah. or leverage his grandfather's legacy, you know, to mm-hmm. make him to stand on his own two feet. Nice. Anyway, we yeah. can find out more when we talk with our guest today. We'll be back in just a moment with Keith Coogan. Whether appearing in a sitcom or a commercial that sponsored it, we had seen today's guest on hours and hours of television even before he broke out on the silver screen. With appearances on Little House on the Prairie, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy, Eight is Enough, Knight Rider, Growing Pains, and Chips, just to name a few. Our guest today may be the performer we watched on more shows than any other throughout our favorite decade. Then... In 1987, he cemented his legacy as a 1980s icon, starring opposite Elizabeth Shue in Adventures in Babysitting, and with subsequent roles in Cousins, Hiding Out, Toy Soldiers, and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Our guest has performed with some of the biggest stars of the 1980s and beyond. Today, you can meet our guest at a convention near you, including the upcoming Arctic Comic Con in Anchorage, Alaska on the weekend of April 29th, and the upcoming Retropalooza in Houston, Texas, the weekend of May 28th. Please welcome to the show, 
Keith Coogan. How are you? Rock and roll. <laughs> Were you making the, what do they call it? Like the devil symbol? What is that? With the fist? With the Throwing the goat. Oh, throwing the goat. All right. Yeah. I think I do it wrong. And so my friends were telling me, you're actually throwing this sign language for I love you. And I'm like, oh. I don't know what I'm doing here. Oh. So yeah, that's what I, I stick doing. my thumb out too much, but you're supposed to just do the horns and I don't know. I think it's, you know, we love chatting with folks that we grew up watching in the 1980s and it's a special, it's like a special treat when not only is it someone that we grew up watching in TVs and film and TV and film, but it's someone who is our peer in the sense that we are around the same age. Uh, I just, um, I just turned 51. I know you were around uh, that, that same age. Hey, so we know, look, everybody knows at this point, right? You, you are the, uh, grandson of the legendary actor, Jackie Coogan, who ever, all of us watched, you know, every day, the Adams family was on every day. And when you were homesick from school, you got to see it even more. It seemed like, um, <laughs> but, but we also, and, and actually then he would pop up on the Partridge family and a bunch of other shows too. You know, be, yep. Hey, there he is. Um, but we also know that you didn't leverage, you know, his, your, your, your famous grandfather's, uh, his legacy to start your career. Interesting way to put about leveraging the thing, because yeah. <clears throat> although my mom did make me act under uh, my birth name, because yeah. it was my mother's father, so I didn't get born with the Coogan. Right. And uh, there you'd get to sets and if people knew, they knew if they they're like, that's Jack Coogan's kid. Right. Um, the name, you know, if they didn't know, they didn't know. So I don't know, you know, it, it, I, I liked that it didn't necessarily help me get work. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and once you're on the set though, sure. the, sometimes, sometimes, you know, people figure it out. Well, you know, I guess from a, you know, a lay person's perspective, it would be easy for us to dismiss it as, oh, this is just, you know, a legacy situation where you've got uh, nepotism, you know, of course, look, we love you and everything you performed in, but it would be easy to dismiss it that way. And no, you instead had, like you're suggesting, work your way uh, into, sure, there were some benefits, but uh, find your own way. But, you know, I had heard you tell a story that you didn't, you weren't even at the age of four when you wanted to, when you first approached your mother about acting, you weren't aware, of course, at four that, you know, sort of the, you know, again, the legacy of your grandfather. So what would inspire you at that age to even want to pursue that career? I don't know. And, In the 80s, yeah. and I um, was neighbors with uh, the Buseys, and Jake, uh, Gary's son, is a dear friend, and uh, many years hang out, ride bikes up in the hills, and, mm. um, and uh, Drew was a friend, uh, uh, Barrymore, and I've noticed right. that the generation, um, at least at that time, yeah. uh, we we knew how bad it would look if you didn't work hard, but you were handed this kind of name or, mm. you know, opportunity or a door might've been open for you. You got to hustle twice as hard to prove that it's not just something that's handed to you. Right. And so I was respect and love, you know, all of my friends who happen to be related to other people in the business, right. <laughs> they, um, you know, they took that as a, as a launching pad to, um, because, you know, in some cases, their parents may have uh, lucked into it or chanced into it. You know, mm-hmm. Sometimes you study theater and stuff. Sometimes you go, oh, I got a job. I just started working. And, you know, it's really natural for them. So I found that the generation was very disciplined about it. I wasn't until I got really frustrated not getting into movies and found that high school theater, 
I had a, I just lost my high school theater uh, professor who was responsible for me kind of breaking through. And uh, I uh, used techniques I learned from him to book adventures of babysitting. And uh, um, yeah, so the, um, <clears throat> it was, it was interesting. It was also a very, you know, once I was, six there was no competition my grandfather didn't feel you know he was i was you know he definitely had a good healthy ego Mm -hmm. but there was no topping him because once i'd gotten older than he was when he was a huge star uh you know uh, even encourage wouldn't really you know um read lines or anything like that that was for me to do Mm. which i appreciated um yeah, so was, uh, we lost my grandfather in '84. So he was. I remember going to see Road Warrior with him. He's like, oh, "That was a crap movie." What? <laughs> oh, we just spoke with Vernon Wells earlier today. Oh, we love Vernon. Oh, we oh. love Vernon. Uh, I had to explain to Vernon. I go, Vernon, have you watched Rick and Morty? And he goes, "No, I don't know what that is." And I right. go, "Well, they do an episode of The Wastelands, and you're basically right. <laughs> like half of the thing. It's hysterical. It's a great spoof." You know, it's funny. You say, you know, uh, you said when you were older than your grandfather when he was. Uh, I don't know how you put it, but he started really young, and you know, had great renown certainly in the film industry. You know, starting as. A, uh, with uh, Charlie Chaplin early on. It, it didn't take very long for you to be older than your grandfather, I suppose, than when he was. Yeah. I'd yeah. already, when I finally got my SAG card at six, no. I was a has-been. <laughs> Washed up. And a late starter, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, they, after the kid, um, my family was very industrious. They formed mm. a Jackie Cook and production company and they found scripts, got directors, got the cameras, and kept making basically the kid knockoffs for a few years. Old clothes, daddy's boy, Peck's mm-hmm. bad boy, um, a series of movies that were very similar, same, same costume and all that stuff. It never occurred to me, like you said, how, you know, having that lineage that you would have to work even harder. You're right. Of course, you would have to fight out from under that uh, sort of veil of, uh, I guess, you know, suspicion as to how you had made it or gotten roles. I have a new, a new saying, um, you know, people say you're only as good as your last role. (laughs) Um, The saying is you're only as good as your first role. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So that would, what for you, what are you counting as your first role then? A McDonald's commercial? Oh, I, it was commercials. I got started doing um, commercials and McDonald's commercials. A lot of food, Kentucky Fried Chicken and yeah. Cool Whip and Kool Aid and McDonald's. And I also did cars, Texas, um, Ford and Toyota. Um, got to work with the greats, uh, Diggum Smacks, Snap Crackle, and Pop. <laughs> um, they were all great. Pop, Pop was a diva. I have to admit <laughs> it. Got to poke my finger mm-hmm. in the Pillsbury Doughboy and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cool whip with uh, and squeeze the Charmin with Mr. Whipple. So I got to got to do a lot of commercials. Wow. One of my first jobs was with Henry Fonda of Viewmaster Viewer commercial, wow. and um, that was a great way to learn the set. Wow. And it, um, imagine if they learn had paid you. Touch. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, no, go ahead. I say, imagine if they had paid you in stock in all these companies because we bought so much of that uh, those foods and oh. In part because of you. I've got to say, you know, in researching and in, in, in refreshing my memory about your career, because I know you certainly started longer than I recall and were in many more things than I could remember. You helped me solve a 30-year-old mystery. This is not a joke. This is serious. Since high school, I have been haunted by this recollection of a film they showed us in school 
I know what you're talking about. It, it haunted me because, so this, the film was about these kids. This is what I remembered at first. Kids living on another planet. The sun only comes out every so many years. It's great. It's raining otherwise. And one of the, I thought it was a boy. A boy gets trapped in a closet and can only see the sun by a, you know, in a window until it passes. And then finally, this horrified me in high school. Like I could imagine, in, in part because, you know, in the 80s, we were afraid that we were going to be a post-apocalyptic wasteland at any moment. I thought, you know, we're going to have nuclear ash. It's going to be the same kind of situation. I could never find out what film that was. Of course, you were in it, it turns out, all summer in a day, uh, based yeah. on a Ray Bradbury story. Is this your, is this got to be among your first dramatic performances, I would think. It's in there. It's one of the first um, antagonists, which, mm. you know, I, I usually played good kids. Um, I had done roles in one of my first movies of the week. I think I was six or seven was uh, a purely legal matter, a question of love mm. and a couple titles, depending on where it was released, but it starred Kluge Uliger, Jenna Rollins and Jane Alexander, three method actors. So I, here I am learning mm. method acting at six. <laughs> and from then I did battered with Mike Farrell and Karen Grassel, mm. uh, LeVar Burton and um, Chip Fields, uh, Kim Fields. Mom was an oh, actress wow. as well would bring her to set. Uh, and uh, so I had done some pretty heavy stuff that required the crying and all that other stuff. So this was pretty light fare for me. I was like, oh, I just got to be the heavy. I can be a total dick. That's, that's, that's easy. <laughs> Everyone hated me. They said, I hated you yeah. so much. William, you were, oh, I hated William. Right. I'm like, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Haunting. And it was pretty experimental. It was like a film, you know, film school, film lab kind of a public you know, broadcast kind of a thing you would play in schools and maybe they played it on um, Showtime or whatever under the uh, Chanticleer program. Mm. Um, and it, I, it felt uh, pretty legit, but it was, you know, shot on 16 millimeter. Um, oh. And uh, 16 looks really good on TV. I see. Uh, you do have to blow it up to a 35 print when you're going to theaters, but when you, the, process of taking 16 millimeter film and and the way that they get it on tv it looks great and most episodic television was shot on 16 millimeter <laughs> 21 jump street 16 millimeter. oh is that right yeah you know in addition to that so again what's interesting to me again is that you know you're our age growing up in the 1980s you're growing up too you know and so yeah. your experience growing up is different than ours but um, you know, again, these are formative years for you. You're on television shows that the rest of us are, are watching. We are fantasizing about living in these worlds and you're getting to be on these sets. Uh, does your, are you able to be a fan and a performer or does, for example, being on the set of Knight Rider, sitting inside of Kit, is it, are you fanning out before you even get there? Uh, of course. Uh, and Knight Rider, especially at um, was familiar with it from all of the like effects magazines. I knew the show was coming yep. and I did, um, I think the fourth episode of the show and it hadn't aired yet when we shot it. Oh, so wow. you're, you know, they're explaining to you the car talks and it does this and, and this, and you're like, okay, that's okay. That's great. Um, so, you know, it was kind of interesting. It hadn't aired yet uh, when I did my, my night writer. So that was really fun. Michael, uh, I mean, David Hasselhoff was the best. Uh, he was another kid. We just played around on set. Yeah. Now, of course, I fanboyed out. I watched pop culture. I was a regular kid. My mom made sure that I went to public school and yep. did a lot of chores and you know, little league and all that stuff because you can't really play a regular kid unless you have an experience of mm. being a regular kid. Wow. Um, and you grow up way too fast on a set. You know, the old stories of parents like 
feeding uh, coffee and cigarettes to their kids to stunt their growth so oh they stay goodness. smaller and keep working longer. Good <laughs> Lord. You know, we, and, and it's funny, my mom and I were, um, we could take it or leave it. We're like, mm-hmm. this is a great opportunity, and but it's not the end of the world. It's mm-hmm. not life. It's fake life. It's make believe. It's a craft. It's a you know, it's a tough tough business to go into because there's no steady kind of consistent. And if you get something really big that's steady, yeah. at least back then, you were Richie Cunningham and you never worked again after the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or you so, want to become a award winning director? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> a, fine, a fine director. Only two paths. <laughs> And so for me, Love Boat, Fantasy Island, um, shows that I watched like Eight is Enough or yep. Mork and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley, being on those were uh, fun, also intimidating. Mm. Um, you know, there's a big, uh, you know, sometimes you're working on shows and no one's heard of it. And, you know, like It's a Living, I don't remember if it had been popular or if it was the second iteration of the show. So it already had some fame. Oh, I remember that show. Sure. Oh, yeah. It's a Living is about as 80s as you <laughs> can get. The waitress is working in the Bonaventure Hotel. Right. I, it's great. <laughs> Just great. Uh, you know, every every story you I've ever heard you tell in interviews about your mom, she sounds so amazingly grounded throughout all this. And unlike the, you know, the sort of uh, stereotypical stage mom that we're, you know, uh, warned about in, in, in media, uh, how is it that she was able to keep her head, you know, so on straight, I suppose? She was uh, 10 when uh, her grandfather put on a death cloak mm. and uh, shaved his head and played Uncle Fester. <laughs> there is a um, – I call it inoculation when your family's in the business, even in the smallest way somewhere. Mm. Um, you, it, it demystifies it. You don't put it up on this big pedestal. Mm. Um, you don't want it to uh, eat you up. You don't want it to eat you alive, you know. Um, you got to stand your ground and speak your voice. And especially when you're a child, it's much, much harder to do that. So it was very good that I had the support of my mom to be like, um, you know, just guiding on the set and helping out. She was usually hands off because they, you know, nothing the director loves more than a pushy stage mom. You got my kid, put them over. You didn't beat them. So, but we did have a problem. We were doing, I think it was cool with commercial, and um, we're about to go to lunch. The ad executives weren't happy. No one was happy. We were doing it take after take. I was supposed to get the whipped cream, eat it. Mm, it tastes great. And uh, they, uh, they're like, we don't know what to do. We do. And my mom kind of walks over to him. She goes, I, 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 can I go talk to him for a second? They're like, sure, whatever. We don't know. We don't know. Just go talk to him. She, my mom walks over to him. She leans over and she goes, use your eyes and walks back. And I went, oh, duh. And next take, my eyes went wide open like it was the most delicious, wow. you know, food <laughs> in the world. <gasps> mm! They went, oh, my God, that was great. And they're like, what did you say to him? What did you say to him? She's like, I just told him, you know, use his eyes, whatever. So it's like we take it as, man, you know, it's – it's it, uh, you've been to the rodeo a lot of times because your grandfather was at the rodeo. Your mom's at the rodeo. Mm. You're familiar with it, you know. Like I call it behind-the-counter syndrome where – where you apply for a job at like one of my first jobs was a video store, uh, point to real job. I've done tons of real life jobs. Uh, and you see the store in a certain way as a customer. Once you start working there, the first time behind the counter is pretty unique. It's uh, Oh wow. You're seeing the store from a different thing. I didn't know this was down here. Oh, that's how they do it. And then it wears off after a week yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't see it again. Like the customer did mm. you, you, you see it as it is, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, it was good. Good on her to um, 
let me not get uh, wrapped up in the uh, okay. the romance of Hollywood. I know. I want to make sure. You know, we don't run out of time before talking about the two. At least the two. You got several things here, but some of the the biggest, uh, most well known roles that you have, folks that I'm sure that folks walk up to you and quote or recognize you from all the time. Uh, starting with, um, I believe it's your first major film role, right? Adventures in Babysitting in 1987. Uh, directed by Chris Columbus. Of course, you've got Elizabeth Shue in there, an unrecognizable Anthony Rapp, I think. Uh, think about what he's do, you know, doing today. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so many other folks, uh, Penelope Ann Miller, Bradley Whitford, George Newbert. Um, so many Chris, you know, look, the, fun, the, the, the film is so fun. And Chris Columbus, this was his directorial debut for folks who don't know, but he had written so many wonderful films that are, you know, uh, Oh, they all have family at heart for the most part. I would think you can probably say that even as ridiculous as they may be. What, how do you ground such an ed, a zany adventure as this film portrays? That is a great point. So uh, one of the films Chris had us watch was Arsenic and Old Lace. Another was uh, Bringing Up Baby. Uh, and he goes, Bringing Up Baby is an interesting thing. I think it's Preston Sturgis he, uh, directed. He goes, um, the problem they did with bringing up baby is they had no normals. Everyone's zany. Everyone's crazy mm. in bringing up baby. And, and I realized that was the, 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 um, uh, the touchstone for, notice I use touchstone, the production company <laughs> that made the movie, but it was a touchstone for we are normal kids. We're the way the audience sees the city. Right. And, Yes, you could say it's you know a, a a story about white flight and suburbia and these white kids going into the scary city and we got tons of scathing reviews on racial issues and I I get it but if you watch the movie it ain't about class it ain't about money it ain't about rich or poor black or white it's that everyone in the city is nuts they're crazy we just don't happen to beat any sane people that entire night yeah. so it just becomes a mad dash to try to grab brenda and get our get our butts home <laughs> <laughs> we quickly the adventure of the city is it's yeah it's rough man the city's rough and i like you know they're sheltered kids and and um it uh, oh so chris when we did it over the top had just been released by stallone yeah. and uh, they'd have big like 18 Plex Cineplex Odeon in Toronto. We spent about two months shooting a lot in Toronto. And the cast would go see movies oh. on days off and weekends or whatever. And uh, we saw Over the Top, and it was Over the Top. And, and he goes, that's a great, that's going to be my code phrase. If you guys aren't grounded, if you aren't re do real, of course have stakes, and you know, but make it you know, real. Uh, I'm going to cut and say OTT over the top. And so, oh, definitely half a dozen times we'd be working and you hear cut OTT, bring it back, you know, play, make it real. And, and that was, and we, of course it was you know, breathless and we're moving around through a lot of dangers through the city, yep. but um, yeah, don't, don't go over the top. That is so funny. And he took the movie because it didn't have dragons or spaceships yeah. or ships <laughs> at sea or, you know, it has, cars and buildings yep. and it's 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 a manageable scope of a film for chris mm. uh, you think about what he's done since i mean you know harry potter and some of those other films so big and fantastical but yeah i certainly i hear what you're saying it makes sense yeah you, you remind me do you think, think about these films yeah you, someone's got to be margaret dumont right i mean correct otherwise uh <laughs> that was a yeah. good pull right there Thank marx you. brothers Thank that's you. good <laughs> you know, speaking of adventures of babysitting again 
How do you look you, like you had pointed out there's content in there that in the eighties, you know, folks were a little more, I guess was seemed a little more palatable at the time. And certainly in retrospect, we've learned our lessons about certain things. Um, how do you feel, however, when uh, some, you know, when, when Disney plus is editing adventures and babysitting to remove, you know, certain, uh, I think they removed the one F bomb in there. There are many edits to that. That's the, t- there's, okay. there, it's the TV edit, yeah. but not because the TV edit retains every frame of the film but it will loop over some of the dialogue. The Disney Plus one straight up cuts. I uh, want you know, kick kick your ass, kick your ass. Uh, he did want to see the footprint, and they they just trimmed just mm. trimmed some of the stuff out. And somebody came up and with a list. There was at least fourteen different things that oh, were wow. changed. Mm. Now some we shot on set. Um, I don't know if I could curse on your show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. So when we're leaving. And there's a mini moment where me and Maya Bruton are trying to blackmail Chris before we leave. They're like, you better take us or we're just going to rat you out to the parents. And But Maya has a line where it was, um, are you kidding? My parents would shit if they knew you left me home alone mm. with him. And we did. Let's just do one with Die. Mm. Because at this point, it's a movie that Maya can't even go see now. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so we did. Um, that was it, though. There wasn't other you know, stuff that was cut. Um, the, it is a film of its time. And even, you know, you watch stranger things, the kids still talk kind of rough. Um, it is, it isn't as bad as monster squad, but it is bad. <laughs> they see, it's, bad, but it's also, it's, it, it's funny. It only upsets, especially, uh, Thor's a homo, you know, other right. people get upset, uh, maybe as advocates, but, um, when I have gay fans come up, that's all they want me to write on a picture. He's, are you okay with writing Thor as a home? Like I could make it as big as you like, you know, it's a fun line. It kills. It's, yep. it's a setup mm-hmm. with a payoff with Vincent D'Onofrio and Thor. Yep. Um, so, you know, yep. good luck cutting that, but yep. they did. I, I think they sent me a tape once I was uh, sitting around and I got a cassette tape and they said, could you please record the word hobo? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's it. We'll put it in. Oh. And I was off working or, or being a diva. I'm like, yeah. no, I'm a pure artist. It, it stands or it doesn't. And so the TV version for years had Thor's a hobo, totally somebody else's. <laughs> oh, my but don't goodness. fudge with the babysitter. Yeah. Nah, yeah. that's you can't. Even all parents went, parents were so upset. They hid their children. They're like, you can't watch this right now. This yeah. is not my movie. They were like, this isn't it. This isn't the version that I grew up on. And that made it, I think it made it a success. It helped it be a success because it was another element of danger that the kids that go see, the parents would drop them off there and the parents would go see inner space or something. And, or the parents would sit there watching. Now the parents also, it's doesn't talk down. It's not a dumb movie. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I still enjoy watching. It's got a lot of heart. But I do know friends, you know, they'll come to screenings. We'll do screenings around uh, the country and um, we'll get up. All of a sudden, it's the beginning of the L train scene. And you'll see mm-hmm. someone stand up with their oh. four-year-old. They'll be like, we're going to go hang in the lobby for about five minutes. We'll oh, be right back. So they mm-hmm. know it's coming and they'll prep it. It's so funny. Uh, I think I read a quote <laughs> suggesting that you had a crush on Elizabeth Shue during the filming of Adventures in Babysitting and were able to use that. Yes. 
That is true. Okay. I did a very ham-fisted ask uh, early in the early in rehearsals, and I said, "Let's go get dinner at the hotel and everything like that." She, she kind of spelled it coming, and I did, and I knew it was going to get shot down. I just wanted yeah. to know what it felt like to be turned down. Yeah. And I said, <laughs> "You know, you know, actors sometimes, especially if there's like a romantic you know thing in the movie, sometimes they date in real life." And I didn't know if you went at this point. She just starts laughing in my face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, honey, no, so no. She, uh, so it sounds to me like you were maybe doing the method acting that you had learned earlier in your career, trying to create this situation you could draw on, but no. You well, I do because I, I think that if you can have something real yeah. with another person, mm-hmm. so very easy to get into it with Sean Astin and Will Wheaton. I've known them for years. Yeah. Um, you've built, you have an instant relationship. So you just, you play and you can push someone's buttons. I love being supporting player. I love being the brother, the best friend, the cousin, whatever. And I love supporting the lead. When I got cousins um, Mm -hmm. uh, with Ted Danson, Isabella Rossellini, Billy Peters, Sean Young, Lloyd Bridges, Norma Aleandro, great cast. What am I doing here? This I don't belong. This is this is amazing. This is like the highest grossing French film remake. I remember at that time they were making Three Men and a Baby and, right. and, and Three Fugitives, and uh, yep. <laughs> so this right. is part of that Hollywood uh, remake kind of a thingy. Right. And um, but in in that you, if you know someone's button and you're off camera and they're reading their lines and you give them a look or you throw them a weird line just to get them to listen. Mm. If you know them, you can make it really effective. I like to get under their skin. And so I was told by the producers, I go, you know, it was great to get it. Um, they go, first of all, we would have paid double what your agent had. And I went, well, don't tell me that. <laughs> then they go, <laughs> then they go, um, you know, I got the role. And I go, nope, I have no idea. And they go, well, you weren't the best Mitch. And I mm. went, oh, interesting. They go, we had lots of people read for Mitch. And, you know, some people were like what you would think with the character, like, you know, what the casting had in mind and stuff. They go, what was interesting was you made Ted better. Hmm. So Ted Danson was better in the scene when he was with you than any other kid. So I was like, okay, I'll take that. It gets me on set and gives me a check. Wow. Yeah. And that's, yeah. So I do, I like to be there for the other actors and that just, and then forget about my work. My work is trying to get under their skin. It's real. It's something that's tangible. It's happening in front of the camera. Um, and I, you know, I've, sometimes I push people are annoyed by it and other actors, you become besties. I don't think, I think our our listeners would forgive us if we didn't talk about, don't tell the baby, don't tell mom, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. So uh, directed by Stephen Herrick, who also directed Bill and Ted, uh, we love, was there any concern when you're playing Kenny about being too close to Bill or Ted, just maybe because of the work that Stephen had already done just a year or so earlier? No, uh, we never even, um, because, so in Bill and Ted, you never see them smoke weed. Right. It's inferred. They're more surfer type dumps. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't characterize them as stoners, just they're idiots, but they are. And we know the trope. So do you know what Kenny is a combination of? (laughs) Mm. Keanu Reeves from River's Edge. Ah. We knew there was some in there. <laughs> Spicoli from Fast Times oh, and no. and Bill and Ted. Because you got to have the lights of family picture. So, of course, the Bill and Ted is going to be ever present. And you yeah. are working with the director that brought it to life. Yeah. So he could go more Spicoli, more Bill, more this. He could kind of lean you mm. what the scene needed. So, yeah, it's three different. And, and the River's Edge might have even been after the fact, after the movie came out, I wind up watching River's Edge on cable and I go, 
that's really close to <laughs> the expectations. I oh, and like I was like, that's really close. And now I had seen River's Edge in the yep. cinema, and perhaps I just remember the performance and, and ran with it. Adventures in Babysitting we watched After Hours mm, and Arsenic yes. and Old Lace and A Day at the Races. Okay. Um, so we did watch a Marx Brothers film. Uh, he wanted that for our banter back and forth when like Daryl and Brad are like bickering and stuff. Right. And Don't yeah. Tell Mom was um, I don't know how they let me do that part <laughs> farthest from the nerd that I really am. Uh, you know, <laughs> but you put all of the costume and stuff and the wig on and, and uh it comes to life. I did have trouble towards the end of the movie when we're shooting the scenes where he's cut his hair, which was really just my crew cut underneath. And mm. he just removed the wig and, and go. And I'd get in the hair and makeup and I'd look in the mirror and I couldn't see Kenny. Mm. I didn't know how to, I was like, I can't do the character without that wig. Right. Yeah. Reminds me of, uh, I think it was Olivier who said, you, uh, you know, he would find characters by first finding their nose. Ooh. Yeah. I think, uh, Daenerys say shoes. He likes to find mm, their yeah, shoes. Oh, yeah, that's right. What <laughs> shoes do they wear? And I like that stuff too. It's fun when you get to pick, like toy soldiers, we get to pick our underwear. Hmm. So you got all the cool guys and Sean's like black, you know, briefs and, or the, you know, uh, George is like, I'll take black boxers and this. And I'm like, snuffy would be tidy whiteies. Yeah. There's no, I couldn't <laughs> even whitey. think of another type of underwear. Tidy yeah. whiteies, absolutely for him. And so I got to pick my underwear for toy soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, Keith, we are so grateful for all of the one. Look, there's so many films, TV shows that you did in the 80s, even alone, if we were just focused on that, but even since. And we're so grateful that you were a part of our youths growing up. Thank you so much for the work you did and continue to do. Oh, thanks. For, thanks, guys. That's very sweet. And thanks for having me on the show. Great, uh, great interview. And thanks for everyone who's listening. Dishes are done, man. <laughs> hey, what a sweet guy. I mean, look. Yeah. We've had the great fortune of speaking to a lot of the folks who just turn out to be how you'd hope they'd be. And, uh, you know, he didn't disappoint in that mm-hmm. regard. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's amazing to think like he's our contemporary. He's our peer. He's our age. Right. How much he, and the different, obviously look, it, it was a job like any other, I guess that's part of it. I, I heard my first job, I think when I was 10 doing a paper route and then it was, you know, different jobs wow. from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working retail at like 13 or 14 years old at a local store. Mm-hmm. Um, but the amount of jobs he did, if you look at his IMDb page, I mean, at a younger age even than we were, I just, it's mind blowing to me, you know? That, that is mind boggling. Absolutely. I was a, a babysitter. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of the babysitter. Oh theme, yeah. <laughs> starting at a pretty young age, around his age, maybe 11, mm-hmm. <laughs> 10 or yep. 11. So I, I didn't, I didn't get to star in any movies with my yeah, babysitting. No. But <laughs> you didn't get to sit inside of a kit like he did? <sighs> That would have been awesome. Yeah. But you know, and, <laughs> and, and, for, for that. and for that, because we know, look, unfortunately, a lot of these kids and, you know, and Alex Winter did a documentary about some of these unfortunate kids who were, you know, had bad experiences acting and some of them that were forced, mm. including Will Wheaton that was forced into it by his parents, oh. didn't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he, but even those that don't, you know, wind up losing their childhoods and wind up affecting their adult lives in such a way mm-hmm. that's, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. impacts them. And, um, not mm-hmm. not Keith seems like a sweet sweet guy you know yes so we're gonna name we're gonna we're gonna name the few folks who started supporting us early on too all right here we go so hey our show is brought to you every week thanks to the our supporters including our early adopters over on Patreon including Rick Parker and Kathy Burke who've been supporting us since the very beginning and our secret of my success level Patreon supporters John Henderson Craig Coletta Bart Arnold John Kaminsky and John Reddick. 
and you can join them. <laughs> Too busy typing comments in the show? <laughs> yes, I was saying hi to yeah, John. Yeah, I was so, laughing yeah, at John's right. comment. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, got nothing. <laughs> just go to patreon.com slash 1980s now so we can just keep on doing this for you guys. Yes. Kat does not want to go back to babysitting. <laughs> no, I, I might need to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, we will talk to you next time on 1980s now. See ya. 